This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. The commercial real estate industry has come under severe pressure following the financial crisis. With Moody's Commercial Real Estate Index down more than 40% since October 2007. Falling values, rents, and rising vacancy rates are part of the reasons some observers have forecast that up to $190 billion in losses could be the result of this bear market. To get some perspective on where markets stand today, Knowledge at Wharton spoke with Guy Langford, head of the national real estate sector for merger and acquisition services at Deloitte & Touche. Langford discusses the current distressed state of the commercial real estate market, including the hotel and retail markets. He also looks at when markets might bottom out, and he considers the effect of large pools of funds from potential investors who are beginning to dip their toe into the market. Thanks for joining us today, Guy. Steve, my pleasure. Well, let's jump right in. Uh, There's been some pretty gloomy forecasts for commercial real estate in the United States. Most forecasts talk of even more of a shakeout to come that will include plunging property values, rising vacancy rates, falling rents, and that's going to be across all categories based on most predictions. So, uh, in fact, there's been a new Moody's report, which uh, shows that their property index has fallen 3% in August. It's not only the 11th straight monthly fall, but it brings the market decline to almost 40% since October 2007. So what's your view of these forecasts? Um, you know, like any forecasts, uh, Steve, they certainly provide um, some indication of what some market you know, participants expect. Um, from my lens, interestingly, um, you know, I, I do see that there's plenty of distress in commercial real estate markets. You know, presently, um, I think there's about 1.5 trillion of uh, commercial real estate mortgages coming due between 2009 and 2013, which is you know a huge amount of debt. Um, and given current financing markets um, and the existence of that debt, it's, it's sometimes easy to assume that um, that will create further distress, you know, from a valuation perspective. Um, and interestingly enough, I think just for 2009, the magic number was $200 million of uh, distressed commercial real estate debt. And so, you know, looking at what has happened to some of that debt um, may provide some lens in terms of what to expect, you know, in future years or... Uh, you know, more particularly in 2010. So, if you look at it, um, you know, of that 200 you know billion of uh, real estate debt that's out there, and it was due for um, refinancing in 2009. You've, you know, you've got extensions and modifications that have, have been occurring in some instances, in some respects, extending or pretending or deferring the day of reckoning. Uh, there have been plenty of examples, I think, where owners have handed back the keys to the bank to manifest in an REO or real estate-owned scenario. There have been some examples of bankruptcy and foreclosure. I think we've also seen some distressed sales. Um, so, you know, that's how that $200 billion is being dealt with or has been dealt with. But what I think is more interesting um, is actually the massive pools of capital that I think are being uh, pulled together to 
you know, effectively capitalize on what a lot of market participants participants believe will be a you know a good commercial real estate buying opportunity. So, you know, notwithstanding the fact that um, you know, some some reports are out there saying, you know, the knife's got further to fall, I think we actually have some examples now where uh, slowly but surely some of the market participants are actually getting ready to transact or they're transacting albeit in a distressed environment. Um, and that, in, in, in my view, will actually, you know, create a little bit of enthusiasm around, you know, the pricing for, um, for properties to start to transact. So uh, whilst I might be um, acknowledging some of the, the negative sentiment, I also think that, you know, because of some of the dynamics and the large pools of capital that are out there presently pursuing distressed real estate, you know, that will, will, will create a positive factor on pricing and the demand for it. Well, with these pools out there, uh, do they have an incentive to wait a little bit longer until things get even worse for existing owners when they can come in and get properties at even lower prices? Sure. Um, the question is, you know, in many respects when you're buying anything for that matter is, is you know, can you get the timing perfect and buy at the very bottom of the market or are you getting... Uh, you buying the the lower cycle and then selling in an upper cycle. I think it's always a timing question. Anybody wants to buy at the the bottom. Um, you know, right now I think there are about 143.2 billion of distressed assets in the U.S., um, which is you know obviously for loans that are in uh, default or some form of distress. So there's plenty of incentives to start transacting. The question is. You know, on the pricing, as you referred to, um, will, will people wait till it gets lower? Um, my sense is that you will have some market participants that are going to say, "Let's wait this out another six months." Um, I think we're starting to see some examples, however, where some of the pools of cap- capital are actually getting active. Um, and let, let me give you kind of three points of reference, if you will. Um, you know, the cumulative dry powder right now in, you know, global private equity real estate funds is around about $190 billion. So, you know, that's unleveraged gunpowder, um, and obviously leverage in today's world is different to what it was two or three years ago. Um, and then you look then to the sovereign wealth funds um, who have specific focus on private equity real estate, or sorry, real estate, um, and that's you know, well in excess of, uh, you know, $100-plus billion only based on the top five or six sovereign wealth funds. And then you start looking to uh, what's been happening in the private market, uh, sorry, the public markets in the U.S. in the last, you know, nine, ten months. And there have been IPOs uh, for blind pool REITs, specifically pursuing distressed debt. There have been secondary equity offerings where existing REITs have been looking to either deleverage or provide liquidity. And then there have been uh, secondary debt offerings as well. And that's in the range of about $30 billion. So just, you know, you take those three factors year-to-date, and you will see some patient pools of capital that believe that um, they'll wait another six months. And then I think we're already starting to see now some of those market participants uh, gearing up to to transact. 
So let's pull all that together and and uh, try to distill it down to this question. Uh, the Moody's Real Estate Commercial Property Price Index, which is the index I mentioned, dropped 3% in August, down from July, and has dropped 41% over the last more or less two years. When do you think that that will stop dropping and start to turn positive? Um well, you know, it's, it's a tough one because that's based on actual transaction activity, and there hasn't been a lot of transaction activity other than distressed. Um, you know, I've, I've looked at some reports um, that um, would state that across the board, you know, in, in aggregate terms, um, there has been a, a drop, a 40.6 decline, decline from the you know the October 07 peak mm-hmm. um, I know that there have been specific examples in Manhattan where office buildings were transacting at the peak a thousand bucks a square foot mm-hmm. and now recent sales comps are coming in at somewhere in the range of just under 400 a square foot so that's actually much greater than a 40.6 dec- percent decline um, and so, you know, I think what you've really got to do is you've got to look at asset classes and then specifically geography as well. Um, and then you have to look at the, the capital structure of those assets to see whether this is going to be a, a distressed sale or whether this is going to be an orderly transaction um, in a distressed market. Well, let me ask you then uh, about two especially troubled areas, and maybe you can give us some insight to what's likely to happen to those in the in the short and uh, midterm, and that is hotel and retail. Can you offer some views on conditions there now and where things are heading? Um, sure. Let me start um, perhaps with hotel. Um, you know, interesting attribute of uh, the hotels or the lodging industry is that you have short-term leases which effectively reset daily, um, and i.e. the the rev par or revenue per available room, and um, you may be uh, staying in a property um, 18 months ago in Vegas and paying 350 bucks a night, and then uh, two weeks ago I actually stayed in the same property, and it was about 120 a night. Um, and so fixed cost of the property doesn't change fundamentally, um, and the properties are trying to do what they can to keep the occupancy up for you know, various reasons, including the flow-through effect. So um, the hospitality, and in particular the hotel industry, is deeply impacted by a drop in demand for corporate and leisure travel. Um, you know, some of the industry uh, statistics that I've read suggest that corporate bookings are still a little slow um, in the um, the hospitality or the hotel segment, but that some of the leisure bookings um, have actually showed some uptick. And I think if you look at some of the demand for the leisure car rental companies, uh, that point gets validated that you know some people are actually traveling more for leisure travel. You know, business travel. I think corporate America is still maybe a little bit more cautious not inclined to commit to, you know, a 500-person conference as easily as they were two years ago, plus it's a huge out-of-pocket cost. So I think on the corporate pipeline, um, that'll hold back a bit. A lot of pressure on RevPAR. Um, interestingly enough, though, I do work with a number of um, private equity participants, and some of them, you know, certainly are looking at 
the the hotel segment as being the one that will actually pull out of this earlier because there is a shortage of supply of hotel product in certain cities, in particular, for example, Manhattan or New York City, and that uh, increase in business and leisure travel will have a significant uptick in revenue, you know, or rev par on, on a daily basis. So, you know, I would say, uh, Steve, that um, it, it's probably fair to conclude that a little bit more optimism right now from some industry participants on the hotel side um, in terms of um, gaming, I think that is, you know, a separate kind of animal to itself, and I can maybe come back to that. Um, with respect to retail, um, <laughs> I think a lot of people um, you know, want to see how, how the upcoming you know, retail season goes. Um, we have obviously had some high-profile you know, distress and bankruptcies within the retail segment. Um, some of it will be driven, you know, once again, by geography and um, also the composition and mix of existing tenants in a property. Um, and you know, the devil's in the details with many of these multi-tenant um, retail opportunities. Um, you know, if you lose an anchor tenant, for example, then other tenants have the right and the ability to, to um, cancel or modify, significantly modify their leases. I, I believe... Um, on the retail side, um, that I'm probably less confident in projecting what I'm hearing from the street. Mm-hmm. Um, probably want to see um, how the next um, you know, 120 days pans out in terms of retail sale performance. I think um, in parts of the country, uh, it's it's somewhat distressing in me that to see that landlords have got vacancy signs rather than you know working with their tenants. Um, in other parts of the country, I can see a lot more activity by the um, the landlords to try to work with their quality tenants on on longer term arrangements that will meet a mutual objective. Um, re- retail could be an interesting sector to watch. Um, I'm probably a little bit more bullish on the hotel sector in because of the demand and supply, and also because of the general spending habits now of um, the public. So it sounds like you're you're saying that uh, the hotel sector has has perhaps bottomed out at least, and that retail may have a little further to go down. Um, whilst I didn't directly say that, Steve, <laughs> <laughs> I would draw the same inference. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not sure that I'd say that the hotel sector has bottomed out yet. I mean, I think you're going to find that there are examples, um, you know, whether it's in the extended stay segment or whether it's in um, limited service segments. Um, with its distress, I think there are going to be there's going to be distress at some of the upper ends of the scale as well. Um, the five star luxury. I think if you're in a marketplace where there is a you know a lack of supply or a limitation on the amount of supply, and you have uh, you know a good mid range product, you'll probably see some you know some some appealing or appealing potential for appreciation there in the short in the uh, you know short to mid term. Uh, and I think, you know, once corporate travel does start to come back, the, the hotel segment will see that first. Well, there is, I think, one piece of good news. The number of single-family units now being completed is actually below the level required for normal population growth. So that 
that suggests that uh, housing is at least perhaps bottoming out. Would you agree with that? Um, yeah, based on those statistics, that certainly w- would support the assertion. I mean, I think um, it, it'll be interesting to see um, how that plays out over the next couple of years. I think from a home building standpoint, some of the home builders have recently um, you know, announced that um, the sky is no longer falling and that there, are, there is demand for new product, which I think is a positive. Um, you know, on the housing front, <laughs> this becomes a little bit of a political question in terms of, you know, what is the long-term uh, sustainable home ownership percentage really at? Um, you know, is it, is it low 60s or is it as high as the 70s as it was, you know, towards the, um, this, the most recent upcycle that we went through? Um, I think the fact that there is going to be demand outstripping um, new multifamily product is probably a good factor for real estate pricing in the short term. Um, it would be disappointing to see that it would lead to a aggressive uptick, um, you know, in in the midterm uh, without stabilizing some of the other asset classes. So. Uh- in all of these markets, where do you see the biggest opportunities? And that might even be internationally in, in China or India or other places. Yeah. Well, you know, it's very interesting that a lot of the pools of capital <laughs> right now are pretty intently focused on the U.S. Um, stabilized um, or mature market. Um, a lot of people believe there's a lot of good quality information out there. There's you know a market full of demand the risk premium attached to investing in those markets is somewhat limited and you you can actually extract cash. Um, Whereas in some of the other economies, I think there's a higher risk premium and there's also inability for an investor to, you know, invest and then withdraw cash upon liquidity. So I, I find it interesting that we have a lot of offshore capital focused right now on the U.S. commercial real estate. Um, in particular, you know, I think the sovereign wealth funds that I've been talking to are very focused on, you know, Class A, five-star properties, gateway cities. Um, and they're looking to team up with, you know, folks and participants who are knowledgeable in the, in the U.S. market. That's a large pool of capital. Um, and I think we're going to see, you know, more examples um, of that occurring, and that'll be you know within the U.S. I think the private equity funds, just knowing that globally there's about 190 billion of dry powder, and that um, well well over um, 50% of that actually I think the number is 140 billion is focused on the U.S. I think is um, reflective of global sentiment towards the opportunity that is you know, manifesting right now in the U.S. commercial real estate markets. So why don't I, I, I then assume that there's a lot of interest here in the U.S. <laughs> and then drill it down to, you know, where are those markets, if you will, that have taken um, the most uh, kind of hit from a value standpoint and perhaps <clears throat> look at where people are transacting now and where the largest distressed volume um, as a percentage of market activity is. And, and right now, uh, that's actually New York City, it's Los Angeles, 
that's parts of Miami and then Vegas. Um, so, you know, if we then step back to, say, like a New York City or an L.A., um, in particular New York, you'd say Gateway City, some transactions did occur with large pools of real estate where there's a lot of leverage used, um, either first time around or in an in a, in exchange transaction, um, and that that capital structure is in distress. So I think with just that dynamic, I think that's going to proliferate in a number of um, transaction opportunities in the next you know, 18 to 24 months. So that might be one straw in the wind to look for uh, going forward for some positive news, I suppose. What are some other straws in the wind that investors should, should look at as positive signs? Um, well, you know, interestingly, I think um, the, the, the bank transactions which are occurring in the, um, the marketplace presently, I think um, folks could certainly look to you know, a recent transaction involving um, uh, sale of, of assets from a bank from the FDIC to a private equity f- sponsor group. Um, you know, that seems like that's a, a positive development um, from a pricing standpoint, um, and it in some respects sets some pricing um, data points in the marketplace for people to look at and consider against other upcoming opportunities. The devil's in the details, um, making sure that you understand what that pool of loans, for example, looks like, what level of participation you have going forward, and then what your strategy might be for for that <coughs> excuse me that pool of assets. Um, so I think that's out there. I think there have been a couple of um, smaller deals that have been announced in the last couple of weeks involving um, retail assets, and that sets another data point in the marketplace. I think um, there have been um, a number of refinancings that have occurred that I believe are positive data points. I think there have been a number of transactions involving, um, I think I can just broadly refer to them as you know class A office buildings, either in <clears throat> Manhattan, uh, actually three of them: Worldwide Plaza, Hancock Tower, Avenue of the Americas, um, where transactions have occurred there. So <clears throat> you're starting to get a few more data points in the marketplace, where people, I think, are beginning to um, get a sense of value. Um, I, I'm pretty sure if you were to ask some participants that say, you know, we've got further to go and we're going to wait. And then um, you would have other participants, some of whom, you know, we're working with who are actively looking. Um, and, you know, an interesting data point from, from my perspective on the, the M&A side is I've probably seen more opportunities um, across my desk in the last um, 30 days than I had in the preceding, um, I'm going to say, probably 24 months. So I see that as a positive. Um, you know, and each one I look at involves some level of distress or some need to recapitalize as a result of potential distress. Um, and then some are being you know, opportunistic as well. So 
and it's covering the spectrum from you know whether it's Class A office, uh, offshore interest, um, retail assets, a you know pool of uh, a handful of you know regional, super regional assets, um, hotel assets um, that folks are looking at. So it's it's tough for me to say, Steve, whether these are all going to manifest into transactions now, but I do see it as a positive that pools of capital are actually seriously looking at that and actually engaging outside advisors to help them evaluate these opportunities. Uh, one last question. Does the fact that uh, commercial real estate is considered a lagging indicator, does that make it more difficult or less difficult to kind of call the bottom or to make a decision on, okay, now is the time to begin investing again? Um, well, that's the $64 million question, isn't it? <laughs> Um, it, you know, it's always tough to call the bottom. Um, and with commercial real estate, there are a number of factors which I think generally do cause it to be referred to as a lagging indicator. Um, you know, unemployment is high relative to, you know, historic levels. Um, you know, there's plenty of distress in the capital structure of, you know, multiple asset classes in the U.S. right now. Um, you know, vacancy rates have been rising in, in certain um, areas. So, um, you know, their factors and economic growth um, is, you know, depending on who you talk to and which reports you, you look at is is um, still declining or, or at least um, not increasing. So I think um, you will see that commercial real estate as a lagging indicator here, um, what you might find, though, is is that when it does start to come back, um, because the large pools of capital that have been, you know, specifically targeting that um, asset class, that you might find that it, it catches up, you know, um, a little bit more quickly than maybe some of the market participants are expecting. So, you know, interestingly enough. You know, we're going to be polling a group of market participants uh, shortly in terms, you know, when they think the uh, commercial real estate values will hit the bottom. Um, my speculation on the responses is that most we're going to say first half of 2010 um, as the time period for where they believe it, it will be at the bottom. All right. Well, thank you very much for speaking with us today. We appreciate it and uh, look forward to talking with you again. Appreciate it, Steve. Again. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.